Welcome to the Core Women Podcast. My name is Dr. Summer Watson. I'm a doctor of psychology, podcaster, published author, coach, producer of documentary empowerment films, and empowerment seminars. This podcast is a special place for the hearts and souls of women. It is a place where women share their journeys, strength, resiliency, strategy, and passions. Today on the show, I would like to welcome Shula Van Bollinger, who is an award-winning petite fashion model, VO or voiceover actress, digital marketer, gamer, host of Sullivan's She Shed, and businesswoman. We have so much to talk about, so let's dive right into this, Sullivan, and welcome. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on your show today, Summer. Absolutely. So before we jump right into your professional background, can you tell me a little bit and the listeners a bit about your personal background and journey, where you grew up, and your interests? Most definitely. Um, so I was born in Freeport, Illinois. Um, my dad was military. My parents were really young. I think they were like in high school when I was born. So my dad had just entered the military. You know, he was starting in the army and then he tested um, out and tested into the Air Force, basically. So um, I was basically born in Freeport, Illinois, but I never lived there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, I was basically born. And then a couple of months after I was born, my dad was sent to, well, not just my dad, uh, my mom and I were sent to right. South Korea. And um, it's really funny because a lot of people don't, that have never grown up in like the military world don't understand that. They're like, well, what do you mean you didn't grow up where you were born? And I was like, well. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting journey for sure. I was a military spouse for 21 years, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then my best friend was a diplomat's child, so she mm -hmm. she was all over the place too. Yes. Um, so basically, I grew up in Korea. I spoke Korean, to like two Koreans, you know, as I was growing up. Um, my babysitter, or nanny, however you want to phrase that, was Korean, so I remember her like speaking to me. Um, I spoke like Lao and Thai, mainly to my mom, because my mom spoke Lao and Thai and French, and then she spoke American English, but it was like her version of American English, which she was, you know, like learned. Um, and then I spoke like American English, to, like my dad, and like, I would just say the others when I was little, because I was like, you know, like, <laughs> I, I spent so much time with my mom growing up that it was like, I, you know, like I just like pictured my mom as my world, basically. Mm -hmm. So after that, we came back from Korea and then we lived all over the South. So we were kind of like in Texas for a little first spell. Then we were in Mississippi. Um, I think Biloxi, Mississippi. We were in Mobile, Alabama. We were in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Then we moved. And somewhere in that process, I acquired a little brother. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, then we moved to Washington State. So my dad, I can't remember which base he was at. Um, I know at the time, um, there's Fort Lewis and there's Concordia First Base. But at the mm -hmm. time when we lived there, they didn't, they had like limited housing for uh, military families that were under a certain rank at the time. Right. So we ended up having to live off base. And so I generally, when I'm like sharing my story with people, I just say Seattle because people don't know the different bases. Um, yeah. So we basically lived like, you know, in Washington state for a while. And we were in, we were in Parkland because I, I went to school in Parkland and also mm. Tacoma. Um, so Tacoma was a little bit at the time, um, it was a bit rough. <laughs> um, mm. So a lot of people didn't really, oh, not a lot of people. I mean, like the kids at school didn't really like understand me 
they it was like predominantly like a a, a black neighborhood at the time so like <laughs> the kids didn't they just thought that I was um the white girl basically so that that was an interesting experience growing up there <laughs> yeah wow that is an interesting journey for sure and yeah. I absolutely get what you're talking about when you say off base mm-hmm. so <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah being and a military spouse, I lived off base in Okinawa, Japan. Oh, yeah, so because, yeah. because of the same reason, they didn't have housing for some of the military. So mm-hmm. go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And then after after we left there, because and, and like I try to explain explain this to people that have never experienced like even military life or political life or corporate life. Because some of my friends grew up as you know like corporate kids, and some of my friends grew up as children of diplomats. So they moved every couple of years. And that's very similar to military lifestyle as well, because it is, you know, it's government. So you're like moving every couple of years, depending on what branch. But we, so after that, we went to Davis Mountain Air Force Base that was in Arizona. And then we were there for a spell as well. And then we ended up in like the rural Midwest randomly for six years. Mm -hmm. Um, We were like on our way up to like Springfield and Chicago. And I don't, I don't know. It, we just ended up being in the rural Midwest. So I lived in Marion and Carbondale for a spell. Uh, by a spell, I don't mean two to three years. I mean like six years. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. And at that time, my dad was already out of the military. Um, I can't remember. I think, oh yeah, I think he was working on computer science because he was like really tech savvy and like into all things tech basically. So that experience in Washington wasn't really pleasant. And the experience in like the rural Midwest was a bit weird, like uh, from coming from like a port city, you know, coming from like Washington state where there's like a, well, the areas in Washington state that I was in were very diverse and they're basically port cities or right near port city. Um, So going to like a landlocked area was really weird because it's like people are a bit more tribal in like landlocked areas, I think. yeah, so that was definitely really interesting. And then um, 2009, I wasn't living in Marion. I was living in Carmadale at the time. I then went up to Chicago because we had family in Chicago and Milwaukee. Um, and then I relocated to Los Angeles in 2012. And then like pre-pandemic, I tend to kind of flutter back. Well, I tended to flutter back and forth between like Los Angeles, New York, and D.C. Okay. Can you talk about as you move from place to place to place to place, how did you actually harness your passions and what did your professional career start looking like? Oh yeah, so I think moving place to place to place, you learn how to interact with a wide variety of people (laughs) and you, you definitely learn how to like adapt very quickly. And I feel like that's what really drew me to kind of like modeling and acting was that you're constantly adapting and with modeling it's basically like dress up but you're just playing characterizations or characters and but it's not as I guess as physically active as say like an actor um with modeling it's more like it's the aesthetic and like the idea behind it which is what I really liked um so I decided I like I, I wanted to do something creative I didn't want to work government because like some of my dad's family had worked you know government in DC and uh, my, one of my uncles was in the Navy and then it was just, I didn't want to go that route. Like I didn't want to go like the hard left brain route um, with like business or, or government. And my mom's family were kind of like, they worked like more like technical careers with um, kind of like, I don't want to say blue collar because they did like uh, a little bit 
more work than like blue collar. It was um, more man management as well. But like my mom's family, when they were in Asia, they had a farm and businesses. So it was kind of interesting. I wanted something that was kind of like in the middle of the two, you know, both creative, but both mm -hmm. te technical in some sort of way. So um, 2003 was when I started modeling, but it wasn't like professional. I was just modeling for older friends who had like college projects. So okay. they basically dressed me up as their doll. And I also auditioned for Millie Lewis International in Carbondale at the time, but I was rejected at the time. I don't think they wanted to like really like hire a lot of like really young uh, talent at the time. Mm -hmm. um, around 2004, 2005, I, one of my friends told me about Model Mayhem. So I started going on Model Mayhem and I was basically research every, researching everything. I'm like, well, how does this work? Like, how does it work if you're an agent? How does it work if you're a model? How do you do freelance modeling different from an agency? How do you appeal to an agency? So I was like just researching and like kind of like putting together my idea of what I wanted to do. And there, was a, there were two sites at the time when I was getting started. There was Model Mayhem, which is more like more catered towards freelancers. And then mm -hmm. there was modelscouts.com, which is modelscouts.com. I think it was at the time it was like a hundred dollars a month, but I was so young, I couldn't afford that. <laughs> so I was like, that's a lot of money. So I just did model mayhem when I was younger. And then mm -hmm. I started networking through there. So my friends basically gave me permission to post the photos that they took of me. And then I started actually um, being contacted by professional photographers. So then I started to work on building my portfolio. So then Around 2007, 2009, I was scouted by a New York talent scout. His name was Michelle Tulleri. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was in the process of moving from Carbondale to Chicago. And yeah, um, that was just, that was interesting. Cause you know, like um, most people <laughs> when they start out, like I, within like three years, I was already starting to put together. I had put my portfolio together. I was already getting, contacted by talent agents and Michelle Tulleri was the primary talent agent in the U.S. that um, that I respect and always mention in interviews because he was the most um, he was the most honest but he was also the least prejudiced in a lot of ways mm -hmm. um, so I was also being contacted by Bigfoot Entertainment which is um, I don't know if like a lot of Americans know what Bigfoot Entertainment is but that's like a production company in the Philippines and they're okay. very reputable um, they mm -hmm. have um, one of their studio points is in um, Cebu, Philippines, and that's like a big hub for like film in, in the Philippines. Well, at the time, I don't know if it is still now, um, but it, he also had, uh, Mick Gleisner had contacted me. So he had a film he was working on with Baby Fan, and um, he was saying, have you written acting? Would you be open to acting? It, it would be, you would be um, working with Baby Fan. And I was like, oh my God, Viva Fan. <laughs> um, like I knew who she was, but then I would say it to my friends here and they're like, who's that? I'm like, okay, never mind. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was being contacted for like work with Bigfoot Entertainment and uh, a couple other a couple other companies as well. But uh, like I don't even bother mentioning those here because like if I say it, like most Americans don't know what it is. So it's just kind of like it doesn't matter. Um, so at that time period too, I was dealing with like other agents that weren't like Michelle, they were very, um, very ignorant of like standards of beauty that were outside of the United States. Um, mm -hmm. I think that like a lot of people who have family that have grown or have grown up overseas are more like aware of it, but they would say things like that were really rude. Um, so I was, you know, pre car accident, <laughs> I was like five, two, five, three. Mm -hmm. And 
um, I would go in and some of the agents would be very nice to me, but then they would kind of like do that double-handed slap, you know, like verbal slap where they would say, yeah. well, but you, but you're this or you're that. Yeah. And it's, it's a backhanded compliment. Yeah, definitely. And, it, and yeah. a lot of it was a racist undertone. Cause when I was younger, I looked more like my mom. Like I looked more, um, Asian. So, um, let me cut in here real quickly yeah, because yeah. you do keep mentioning, you know, like these racial undertones and maybe prejudice and least prejudice. Mm-hmm. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your racial background? Yeah. Yeah. So this isn't really actually, this hasn't been really talked about until more recently with like model Alliance and Sarah Ziff, but there's basically a hierarchy in the modeling industry and it's predominantly in the Western industries. And if you do not fit into, well, at the time, because it's it's shifted now since 2013, it's a little bit more diverse. There's still the issues, but mm-hmm. there was a hierarchy basically. So if you were like full white, like blonde hair, blue eyed, or you you are obviously Caucasian, and that was like very desirable. But if you were like mixed or anything like that, you were like lower down in the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And then if you were mixed and petite, you're lower down in the hierarchy. But um, Michel Tulleri had experiences too. And he, he just experienced observing all of that in the industry. And that's why he, he is still around because he didn't treat people like that. Like he would, he would figure out a way to work with models he thought were going to be really, really good in the industry it was for me like I you know like I'm obviously like I was saying I'm I'm mixed but I'm also petite so my mom is you know she has mon which is like Indian background mm-hmm. and South Asian and Chinese but she was mm-hmm. born and raised in Laos so my mom also lived in Thailand so my mm-hmm. mom you know like my mom is mixed herself as well and my dad's family were mainly Irish and French descent he's like second or third generation Mm -hmm. so um when I was younger I resembled my mom more closely and then when I got older it's like it's it's almost like my physiology kind of changed like my face was more narrow like more like my dad's and um I just like I look more like my father's family now which is really weird because when I was younger I didn't (laughs) yeah I know we changed so drastically especially during our teen years like our preteen and teen years Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I actually did the same because I'm of mixed background too. So mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting how that actually happens. And my hair was really, really, really straight. Mm-hmm. Um, like my dad who's Filipino. Mm-hmm. And then my during preteen and teen, my hair got really curly and wavy, like my mom's, mm-hmm. who is Armenian and oh, wow. European. So it's like, wow, just that shift. And my mom's like, wow, your hair is really, I'm like, I know. Thanks, mom. <laughs> like, mom, I can feel it. I can see it. <laughs> I can feel it. Exactly. So you, we do change. So go on. This is really interesting. Yeah. And it was really, it was really interesting. And um, if anyone's interested, you can definitely read about this because it's actually been documented and studied. I did take part in a study with uh, Model Alliance because Sarah had invited me directly. And I was talking to her online. They actually do document it. There is actual in the American market, market especially. They put a very high priority over um, basically whitewashing. So a lot of models of color don't even get an opportunity, and it's it's really sad. Like it's really sad because there are a lot of really beautiful girls that and and guys too. But you know, I'm a girl. I'm speaking as a girl. Um, 
there are a lot of like really beautiful women out there and girls too. And um, Madame Alliance basically hone in, honed in on that and did a study on it with some of the college professors. Um, I think they were with NYC, if I remember correctly, and some in DC. But they've actually pulled in the data that, that there is a hierarchy system. There actually is a hierarchy system. It's not just you know, like models of color or models of like mixed race, but um, just saying things to say it or like, I don't know, like people like to do the gaslighting basically. <laughs> Right. Models yeah. like it's what's yeah. easier to say to a model? Oh well, you just go off your looks, so you must therefore be stupid. So you must therefore not be aware of anything that's going on, which right. is a stereotype, of course. But um, models have talked about that for a long time. And the other thing too, like the T models. So obviously, I'm I'm small in stature. I'm considered a petite model. But petite models were around until the late 1990s and early 2000s, and then that was phased out. And it wasn't brought back until about 2013 when there was that, that recession that happened in like 2007 to 2009 that really affected yeah. everyone's businesses. So the right. modeling agencies were trying to figure out how to make money because, you know, they took, they, they built their rosters from the eighties and nineties, they built themselves up and they got rid of the divisions they originally had to build their agencies. And then when the economy got bad and it started to tank, um, people were trying to figure out how do we make money? How do we survive as an agency? So they started bringing back basically the diversity they initially had beforehand. Um, wow, that is an interesting road. And I think that with you just talking about model, model characterization and you know how you're perceived and what that looks like, do you think that you know, from an outsider's perspective, it looks like things have changed. You know, these agencies have had to embrace diversity. Mm -hmm. Start all over again, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every 10 years, they switch it up. <laughs> yeah. So you did a shift. You did a shift from modeling film to digital, digital marketing, correct? Um, actually, I did that as a parallel career. So I was doing that oh. while I was modeling. Um, gotcha. okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, with modeling, um, things like things, things in other markets, like things that I was working on in other markets, I was already getting like agents contacting me, but I couldn't go overseas because I didn't have support of my family. So I wasn't going to travel overseas by myself. Um, but I did do things remotely. So I did like a lot of marketing. I did like account executive work and, um, I, I never know if I should like do that. I don't want to like name drop, but like I, I was contacted by large studios in Asia. So like Z Entertainment had contacted me. And um, there was a famous, Greg, uh, not Gregorian, Jajorian uh, designer. And mm -hmm. just, there were just so many things that were going on in different markets. And then here people would just look at me with like blank eyes, like, what is that? <laughs> so I was like, okay, never mind then. So do you know lafango.com? And they're like, or lafango talent. And they're like, no, I'm like, okay, never mind then. So um, <laughs> it's just one of those things when you work with different markets, it's like yes. some things transfer over and some things don't. Like, for example, I've worked with a lot of Bollywood. Mm -hmm. So like one of my friends, Ashish Chanana, he is you know, like a really, you know, like he owns Media Factory International. I also have worked with um, some of the other people that he's referred me to. And it's been fantastic. It's been great. And I think back then I really wanted to do Bollywood, but I was too skinny. So they wanted voluptuous women and I, and I was a beanpole, you know, I was like a triple zero. <laughs> extra, oh, okay. extra and then oh. now I'm still too small because it's like, um, 
uh, like I wear extra smalls and smalls, but that's like too skinny for certain markets. So it's like, uh, I can just give up. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have curves. <laughs> but um, yeah, like some markets, you really need to be curvy as well. So it's like, I, I just didn't do well in those markets. <laughs> right, right, right. No, I get you. I get you. It, it, it's really looking at that demographic and mm -hmm and looking at their magazines, looking at their television shows and really studying those markets mm -hmm. and seeing what they gear themselves towards. So yeah, it's it's really an interesting, and I wouldn't call it a game, but it's a really interesting dynamic. Mm -hmm. And coming from my background is marketing. So um, like digital marketing, I started doing in 2011. I was basically recruited by Girl PR and they're a really well-known marketing company. They have awards and they were, uh, initially in New York and Miami, but they branched out to um, to Las Vegas and Toronto as well. I, was, I think they have. A, I think one of the owners is actually still in Toronto, but I was doing basically online sales for them, you know, helping clients. And sometimes I would be hired by companies. I was hired by some of the studios here. I've actually worked with Paramount, a couple of their uh, American studios in Hollywood. So I was doing basically the social media management, the community management, and working with Girl PR to bring in, um, to do like ad campaigns and all of that. And I did digital marketing basically like in tandem as a parallel career with modeling for like nine years. And I remember I, I when I got into the car accident, I was just kind of like, you know what? I'm healing up now and I feel very left behind <laughs> because it changes so quickly. It's considered a, basically a subcategory of tech. And within a month, things can change in digital marketing so quickly, more yes. specifically with social media. So it's like, if you already fall a month behind, two months behind, three months behind, gonna, it's gonna take a while for you to get caught back, caught back up. So after, after doing that for nine years, I got in the car accident and I was like, you know what, I'm done. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm burnt out. I'm sick of people calling me a dumb model. I'm sick of people like stalking me online. And I just basically deleted my, my work account that I had, and I, I'm switching into cybersecurity now. And I actually really like awesome. cybersecurity, yeah, okay. um, more than digital marketing. But dig with digital marketing, I honestly, I would say definitely go with Girl PR. Um, if you want to okay. do database building or campaigns, they're very mm -hmm. reasonable, reasonably priced, and they also work with all levels of businesses. Like whether you're someone that's in the incubator phase or like getting started, I mean, they work with all levels. Gotcha. Okay, so. That is, that is good guidance. You've been through a lot. You've overcome so many challenges. You keep touching on the car accident. Mm -hmm. So what would you say was one of your biggest challenges? Was it the car accident? I would say there are two primary challenges. Um, okay. Challenges feeling like I didn't really have support at all. You know, like just getting started. I was seeing some of my girlfriends were signing with like Wilhelmina. They were signing with like Factor, Factor Women. They were signing with Lilies. They were signing with all of these agencies. But I felt very like, I, it's not that my friends didn't support me. My friends were like very supportive, but they didn't understand what was going on. Like I felt very left behind, um, like years ago, basically. And I would say that was one of the biggest factors. But I don't know, like overall, like I do other things. So that wasn't like really all that painful. Um, if that makes any sense. The car accident was actually really painful. <laughs> I yes. mean that like literally and figuratively and a lot of people weren't understanding that. I I, I was on a real estate, I also work in, uh, this is gonna confuse some of the listeners, but like I also 
work in real estate development. Like I'm the one that goes in <laughs> and basically monitors everything. I do the communications through different teams. Because a lot of times in large projects, whether it's like on a movie set or whether it's on a development project, there's a breakdown in communication. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's like the investor and the, um, the developer themselves will communicate amongst themselves, but they don't communicate with everyone else. So right. I would be hired on to be that kind of, you know, that go-between between like the actual contractors and sometimes union contractors, sometimes general contractors. I was like a translator basically. <laughs> so right. it, sometimes sounds I, like, mm-hmm. it sounds kind of like an event manager, you know, kind of bringing mm-hmm. all these people together mm-hmm. so you can streamline a process or streamline a, a product, a development. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely project coordination and production coordination are parallel. They're very similar. It's all the same parts of the machine, all the same moving aspects of the, of the machine, but it's just different terminology. And then that was the main difference. So the car accident, sorry to get back to the car accident. So I um, had done a Bollywood project in New York and I was working with Shaw, Rakesh Shaw and I was working with some Bollywood A-listers. And then the project just, I, I don't know what happened, like the investor, oh yeah, I remember the producer his uncle was the investor and they got in a family fight and they just put the whole project on hold. Oh <laughs> no. I was like, oh my God, family feud, really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Come on, rise about this. This is business. <laughs> I know, exactly. That's that's the only downside to bringing family in on projects, isn't it? So um, the rest of yeah. us just, we went and found different projects. So I went to work on a development project with Hershey and um, in Baltimore and the developer that we had at the time, he was very, he wasn't very like empathetic or anything towards any of the contractors, even the union contractors. He was just very like money oriented and very, very cutthroat. And there was a blizzard that came through in 2016. He had, he literally had all of us work the day after the blizzard. So I was in a work vehicle with one of the other office, uh, it was the project manager actually. And I was doing the coordination. So he sent us on an errand on the 83 and we were telling him uh, a blizzard just came through. It's icy. We could get in a car accident. He didn't care. No, he says, do you want Mm. your paycheck or not? And we're like, ah, (laughs) Mm. so it's always that, that feeling like when, you know, when you're an adult, you're like, ah, I need that paycheck. (laughs) Right. Right. So you were, you were making the best decision for yourself because of a monetary for a monetary reason. Mm-hmm. And so you got into that car and then what happened? Oh my God. It was, it was, it was rough. Um, it was basically a five car pileup and we were in the center car, but luckily we were in a work vehicle. So we were in like a really strong car, but we still felt the aftermath of all the momentum of being hit. All um, We got hit in the back, hit on the side twice and slammed, um, we slammed against the wall. So I don't know if anyone's ever been to Baltimore, but the 83 has like this concrete, concrete sides on it. And um, it's a 25 foot drop down. (laughs) If you go over that, if you somehow go over that um, barricade or you go through it. So my side, I was on the passenger side and I'm, you know, I'm small. So I was like a ping pong ball. I was like, whoa, (laughs) I didn't, it felt like it was like five seconds, but it was actually, it, it, I think it was actually quicker than that. I think it was like two seconds, but it was weird because it felt like it was in slow motion, but I was being whipped. My head got whipped back, whipped to the side, each side with the cars were hitting our vehicle. And then my side, I was on the passenger side. We slammed into the concrete. The driver managed to maneuver it. So we didn't go straight directly into the concrete or somehow hit it and go over it. Um, 
So it was like I slammed my head against the metal frame of the passenger door. I also slammed my head against the glass. And mm. it was, I remember like we just stopped and, and you know, when you're kind of, um, you're kind of in a situation and you just kind of freeze, is there something else coming? Right. <laughs> like oh, we were sure, sitting yeah. there and I was seeing stars. I remember I was just like, I was blinking and it was like, I was seeing like these, um, uh, what are they called? The, the black floating, what are they called, Summer? I can't remember what they're called. Like the floaters, the stars. Yes, the, yeah, exactly. So. I was seeing floaters. I was seeing like little black dots, basically. Okay. And nice. um, my coworker, he's, he was substantially larger than me, like, like a big guy, basically, like a construction guy. He yeah. was like, are you okay? I'm like, I, I feel like someone just put me in like a dishwasher. <laughs> Oh, or dryer. <laughs> yeah, or something like that. I'm, yeah. I, I'm not feeling anything yet, but I have a feeling I'm going to feel it. And I was right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there might have been some traumatic brain injury there because of you being like tousled, mm-hmm. you know, back and forth. And I watch just so that, you know, um, I watch occasionally NASCAR and they actually have these barrier walls for accidents to lighten the blow. Mm-hmm. And when you're on a freeway or a highway, or, you know, like you said, us Californians and East West coasters, the, the 83, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, it's like, you don't have those barriers. Mm-hmm. You don't have the safety of certain barriers where they put in place and they try to, but it's not going to necessarily lighten the impact. So the long-term effects I'm sure were, are there still. So how are you, how are you dealing today? So now I'm substantially better. Like I can actually form sentences that make sense. <laughs> gotcha. um, but initially, right after that, two weeks later, I was having blackouts. I was having mm-hmm. shaking. I was in a lot of pain. And the thing is, my insurance didn't transfer out of the state of California to Baltimore, <laughs> like to Maryland. Oh, no. So I was like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm going to have to pay this all out of pocket. So I took, you know, like I took on other projects while I was injured to pay my medical bills. And I think the stress from that and like everything accumulated caused the relapse. I think a fusion of that caused the relapse. So I had a relapse August, 2018. And I was, I just blacked out. I hit my dresser and I hit the floor and I had a guinea pig by the name of Sputz. I still have him, but he was a baby at the time. And he heard me fall and he somehow escaped his pen. I don't, I still don't know how he did it. But when I came through, he was laying, he was like by me, freaking out. This poor little baby of a guinea pig was squeaking because <laughs> he thought I had died. I think he heard me hit the dresser. Right. But um, my poor little guy. So I like, I, I couldn't pick him up because I couldn't stand up straight. And um, I was like, okay, I'll go take a shower. And that didn't work out very well. <laughs> so I just, I, know. I just laid down. I like crawled across the floor and just pulled myself on the bed and just laid there. <laughs> and um my friend at the time took me he he came and got me but he, I thought he was going to take me to the doctor he took me to a doc in the box <laughs> oh no and they didn't do any tests so they just they right. they were saying oh it looks like you have a brain injury I was like I already had a brain injury and I was right. uh, I was very lethargic and I was slurring and I was I sounded like a drunk person and the doctor goes like I had a stroke yeah yeah and she's like, like did you how old are you? And I told her, and she's like, you're way too young to have a stroke. She goes, mm-hmm. okay. She goes, did you have a migraine? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like, my speech is slurring, <laughs> like when I was talking to her. So they just, um, they basically just wrote it as a, a re-triggered TBI, basically. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't, it was, I felt really helpless. You know, like when you're trying to communicate when you're in that state, you can't, I was like, take me to the doctor. But I think it came out as blah, 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 blah. Right. So, um, right. My friend just had, they had me rest for like two, like two and a half weeks. And then it started again. And so my friend, I had, I like, I was like, wrote it down, like to the doctor, take me to GBMC. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So then, um, then I was taken to GBMC and the doctor there was, she couldn't finish. She, she, she didn't want to, she was scared to misdiagnose it basically. So she was like, it could have been, she goes, she goes, you're like, again, like the other doctor, you're way too young to have had a stroke. And she was like, well, maybe it's, um, Maybe it's a, what is it? A migraine. I can't remember what kind of migraine it is, but it like mimics a stroke. But she was right. like, maybe it's that. And she goes, but I don't want to misdiagnose you because like, uh, um, you know, the MRIs came back normal, but I was showing these symptoms. So she was worried. Okay. So she was like, but you're also on your period. So she was like, ah, like she didn't know what to do. So she just basically referred me to um, a neurologist basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And okay. yeah, it, it was, it, it was a mess. And then I had, so I basically healed from that, but I got slammed with hospital bills. So I had to like pay those off. <laughs> and wow. I'm like, yeah, that was a nightmare. I basically ended up writing um, a letter, basically explaining what had happened. And like, I'm not from this area. I don't know where anything is. Right. I'm like, I feel like I've just been blacked out for like a, a couple months. So, and then I had to go up to New York. I had a business meeting in New York and then I had internal bleeding. So then, then we realized it was a lot more serious than it looked externally. Um, so I had to heal from that. And then I had a spinal, like a cervical spine relapse in 2019. So, <laughs> um, I'm pretty much like done with injuries on the East coast. <laughs> I'm, like, right. I'm just going right. to go back to California and chill. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And you know, you were really great about writing stuff out. You know, when you have a history, and I'm, I'm talking to listeners out there, when you have a history, a medical history, write out, when you're in a good space, write out what has happened and write out that chronology of, you know, this is what happened when. So when you're in a situation, people around you know where to grab that piece of paper. So because maybe you weren't being clear or logical because you were in a situation where you blacked out, hit the floor. And so people will need to know what's going on or the precipitating factors, so to speak. So that, that dialogue, that piece of paper, what you've written, that journal is so critical. Mm -hmm. So really critical, especially when you're going to a new practitioner. So as we move on and you've been through a lot and we've covered a lot here, I want you to talk about she shed your show oh yeah definitely so she shed now we're moving on to the fun things guys <laughs> uh, no more intensity please <laughs> so she shed actually happened it's actually funny how this happened so um Shavon had contacted me on linkedin and you know i was just coming out of like the initial part of the car accident and I told Shay about what happened. I'm like, I'm really worried about you know, like starting a show knowing that I might have a relapse, which of course I did have during the first season. But Shay already knew what it was. She knew how to handle it. And she knew like basically like how to help me maneuver it. So um, it's a very fun show. Um, we're fun. We're non-pretentious. It's very family friendly. And we basically bring experts on in their field. And sometimes we even bring people that are like basically learning or moving, starting a business, moving forward. And... We learn about their field, their industry. We get we get really honest feedback from 
industry professionals about their field, what to expect, the good and the bad. It's, and you know, it's very honest. Our right. content initially starting was catered to teens and early 30s, but then we noticed that our, our group, <laughs> our viewers were gradually moving up in age. So then we realized it's a lot of people that are transitioning out of careers or exploring new career options. Right. Well, I love that. And where can people find the show? Um, so you can find Sullivan She Shed every Sunday on WorldWideTV.tv. And you can also, if you want to actually like watch us online, we're on Roku. We are on, we're not on YouTube. A lot of times people try to search us on YouTube and we're not actually on YouTube. And we keep it mainly on the, on the station. So if you wanted to watch on an OTT platform, we're on Roku, Apple TV, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon Fire, and Kindle. Um, you basically have to search Worldwide TV or Women on TV. If you search the show, it may or may not pull up. It just depends on how they're, um, how they're updating the SEO searches on the platforms. Right. Yeah. Those are always tricky, right? Mm -hmm. So <laughs> as somebody starting a business and somebody having a show and, you know, those are always tricky. So I was having a discussion with my partner yesterday about the SEO. Mm -hmm. So your show sounds incredible. Your journey is really amazing. And I want to thank you for sharing that journey with us today. So as we come to the close of the interview, I'd like to ask you, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Hmm. That's a good question. I was thinking there are maybe like five points that I would probably point out. So one is when you're getting started, don't rush or cut corners. I have definitely known girls especially in, in modeling and entertainment who have cut corners and that came back to bite them. Um, and I'm, and I am referring to like casting couch, like, don't do that. Like, just don't do it. It'll, it, it, it all comes back around. I would say don't like for safety, just, this is for like models and actresses, but it also applies to other industries as well. Don't meet people alone or attend any photo shoots alone. Always meet in a public place. Don't meet in people's hotel rooms. Don't meet at their houses. Don't do any of that. Like I, I didn't do that when I, I don't I'm like I have kind of like more of a conservative background like I would say definitely definitely do not go to shoots alone and if you're going to bring someone with you to a shoot bring someone that's like physically intimidating and like someone that the person won't even try anything um that's what I would recommend in terms of like models starting or getting started there's model mayhem and modelscouts.com they're both legitimate but you still have to watch for possible predators on either site you know it's people getting on the internet just, just be smart about it. And if you don't know, I mean, you can ask, there are forums where people will basically share with you or so you can even send it to me and I'll ask some of the talent scouts or talent managers that I know personally. Um, another thing I would say, especially if you're getting started and this is catered more to people getting started or transitioning is that when you are getting started, not just with modeling, but you wanna build your networks and you wanna build your experience and that will always give you a competitive edge at castings. So even if you're not cast as a talent, if you have experience as like a business manager, if you have experience in sales, if you have experience with like any other thing, like even if it's like digital marketing, which is what other one of my other skills I would um, give at the time, that will definitely help you. So it's like, just be open to different experiences. So I think that a lot of times when people get started in their industry, whether it's modeling or any team or any other industry, they get tunnel vision because they just focus on that one objective, that one goal, but you're missing all of these opportunities around you. And I think that's really important, especially if you're someone that doesn't have support, 
or, you know, you constantly have to, you know, like you have to worry about paying your rent and your bills and it's all on you. Like be open, like be really open. I mean, don't be so open that like you're easy prey to predators, but like, just be smart about it. Right. Well, I think those are incredible words of wisdom. And thank you, Sulavan, for joining me on the Core Woman podcast today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun, Summer. Thank you so much. If you would like to connect with Sulavan Bollinger, you can find her on LinkedIn and at Sulavan's She Shed on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you need a strategic empowerment coach, contact me. If you want to tell your story of empowerment or how you have reconstructed your life to drive change, send me a video or an email of your story providing permission to use it on my social media platforms. If you want to be featured on my podcast, reach out to me at info at corewomen.com. I want to hear from you and to get to know you. You are now part of the Core Women home. Let's get to know each other. Let's learn from one another. Please follow Core Women on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please let your women friends know about this podcast. If you write about Core Women in your social media posts, please hashtag Core Women. This is all about women. Thank you for taking the time to learn more about Core Women, and please stay tuned for continued growth of the Core Women movement. Let's grow and drive change together.